Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. All right, on today's podcast, we're going to start with a little stat-heavy open on exactly what this Kansas offense has done so far this year and what history tells us about what they'll likely do the rest of the season. Then I'll be joined by Kansas running back Devin Neal, who will talk about deciding to stay at home, play for KU, and what it means as a local kid to be a part of this awesome rise that Kansas football is on. You're probably already rooting for him, but this interview is awesome. He's so great to talk to and you're going to be rooting for him that much more after you hear what he has to say. And then we'll finish with a quick look on Iowa State and kind of try and figure out what kind of test the Cyclones will provide Kansas this Saturday in Lawrence. I don't even say this to brag. I'm more appreciative than anything else. The numbers for this podcast have been amazing the last couple of weeks, and it just goes to show even for a program and a university like Kansas basketball has like... People are so starved for a fun, relevant, exciting football team, which is exactly what you're getting right now. And, you know, the numbers go to prove that. So thank you so much, uh, whether you're listening for the first time or if you've been listening all season, even going back to the March Madness run last year. I thank you so much. And if you haven't already, wherever you're listening, please subscribe, rate, review. I don't even care if it's a five-star. You want to give me a three or four and tell me what I got to do to get the four or five? That's great. I'm all about constructive criticism. KU is 4-0. And congratulations is in order for Lance Leipold, who now has six wins in 16 games as the head coach of Kansas. That ties him with David Beatty and Charlie Weiss for the most wins in the post-Mangino era. So uh, it's a big historical benchmark for Lance Leipold to have passed. So uh, congratulations to Coach Leipold. 4-0, and not just 4-0, you know, grinding out wins and having some sort of great defense that, helping you win games in the teens or the 20s. No, you're 4-0 with an explosive offense and a Heisman candidate at quarterback. Like, where the hell did that come from? You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to go from 2-0 and being at the cellar of Power 5 football for the past decade to all of a sudden being a really fun, exciting, relevant team, which is exactly what Kansas has done. It's supposed to be a slow build, like this natural progression where you get incrementally better each season, Maybe you go to four wins one year, then you get to scratching on the door of being in a bowl. This team is flying right back past all of those natural steps that I feel like you're supposed to take as a program that's trying to build. And yeah, it's fun. Nobody's complaining. But 4-0 and, and 48 and a half points per game. Top five in college football. I know there are still detractors out there, people who don't want to believe in 
it's not even people who don't necessarily want to believe. I think some KU fans are like this just because you're predisposed to expect Kansas to not be good at football. So when they are good at football, you start to say, well, when is when is the other stuff going to come? When will the regression come? When, when will they get back to what we've come to expect from Kansas football? I don't know. So I tried to figure it out. I wanted to see how often a team starts 4-0 and averages 48.5 per game and what happens to them the rest of the season. So I went back and I looked at the numbers. Over the last five years, so 2017 till 2021, it's happened 12 times. Now, there's a few schools that did a handful of times. Alabama did it in three straight years from 2018 to 2020. They lost the championship in 18. They won it in 2020. They won the Citrus Bowl in 2019. Ohio State did it in back-to-back years in 18 and 19. Uh, Won the Rose Bowl in 18, lost the Fiesta Bowl the next year. Penn State, of all teams, did it twice. They went 9-4, and lost the Citrus Bowl in 2018, went 11-2 the next year, and won the Cotton Bowl. Oklahoma did it in 2019, went 12-2, lost the Peach Bowl, and then 2019 LSU, everybody remembers that team with Joe Burrow, undefeated 15-0, won the national championship. None of those schools are all that surprising. They're teams that are nationally relevant every year. you got powers that are in the college football playoff seemingly every single year. None of those really surprise you, but all of those teams started 4-0, averaging 48.5 points per game, and they all won at least nine games, went to a bowl. Most of those teams ended up going to the college football playoff. A couple national championships sprinkled in. Okay, but there are other teams. There are non-powers. There are non-big-time programs that have done this as well. Let's take a look at a few of those. Syracuse did it in 2018. Started 4-0, 48.5 points per game. They finished the season 10-3. and They won the Camping World Bowl. That same year, UCF did it. Finished the season 12-1, and lost the Fiesta Bowl. And then North Texas. Okay, this is going to be the one, right? Right? Come on. This is going to be the school where it's like, okay, what happened in North Texas? Hot start. Wheels fell off. Not really. They finished the season 9-4, and four, and they lost the New Mexico Bowl. So it's 12 different teams that have started 4-0 and averaged 48.5 points per game over the last five years. Those 12 teams finished with a combined record of 142-21. and 21. Every single one of them went to a bowl game Every single one of them won at least nine games. Okay, five years, not a huge sample size. Cherry-picking stats to make your point. Okay, then let's go back a little further. Let's expand our sample size a little bit. Let's go back and look at the same criteria over the past decade. Over the past decade, 32 teams have started 4-0, averaging 48.5 points per game in those games. 30. Of the 32 teams to do that, won at least eight games. The two who didn't were West Virginia in 2012. They finished 7-6. and six. Arizona State in 2016 finished 5-7. and seven. That Arizona State team is the only team in the past decade to start the season 4-0, 48.5 points per game, and didn't go to a bowl game. Louisiana Tech actually technically didn't go to a bowl game, but this is kind of funny. They went 9-3 and three in 2012. They got invited to the Independence Bowl, but they decided to hold out for a bigger bowl. They thought they deserved to be in a bigger bowl. So they waited for an invite from another bowl. Guess what? Spoiler alert, didn't get one. In the meanwhile, the Independence Bowl said, well, we're not waiting on you anymore. So they filled it with another team. So Louisiana Tech technically should have been in a bowl, but they just 
played it like absolute idiots, and they sat out. But I don't think that's going to end up affecting Kansas. 10 years, 32 teams started 4-0, 48 and a half points per game. And 31 of them went to a bowl game. 30 of them won at least eight games. So back to Kansas. They fit the same criteria as all of these teams. And yeah, it's, it's specific criteria, but it's also basic in its principles. You are winning every game and you are lighting up the scoreboard. So the next time somebody tells you, hey... Big 12 plays coming. This is where they're about to get exposed. They're going to start playing real teams. The schedule is going to get more difficult. This is where the regression happens. Maybe they're right. History would tell you that they're not. One team, by the way, that I didn't include because it happened in the 2020 season. That was the COVID-shortened year where a lot of teams didn't play a full schedule. But I still think this team is worth mentioning. 2020 Buffalo. They only played seven games that year, but they fit the criteria. They started 4-0. They averaged 48.5 points per game. They ended up going 6-1, and and they won a bowl game. And the head coach of Buffalo that year, Lance Lightbold. All right, Devin Neal is a running back, a sophomore for Kansas. He is from Lawrence, so really a hometown kid. Not just a local kid, but a hometown kid. And he was a big-time prospect coming out of LHS two years ago. Could have went a lot of different places. He was a four-star running back prospect, and he was like an all-state baseball player as well. He's a two-sport athlete at Kansas. He's playing football and baseball. But this is a kid who kind of, there have been other guys in the past, other local kids who Kansas was in on but ultimately lost out because of their history, because of the track record. And it's important to remember, Devin Neal didn't commit to play for Kansas when Lance Leipold was here. He had already committed and then, as you remember, Leipold or Les Miles was fired late. Leipold was hired late, and he stayed on. And last year, even though we remember the pass from Jalen Daniels to Jared Casey, it was it was Devin who had the monster game against Texas that put them in a position to win that game. That was sort of his coming out party. Actually, Oklahoma was sort of the first part, and then Texas was really when he burst onto the scene. And now this year, sort of the lead back in what is a very, very talented running back room. So I was excited to talk to Devin, not just about this season and what it's been like as this team continues to gather momentum by the week, but also kind of going back and talking about not just his decision to go to Kansas, but what it feels like now as a local kid, as a kid who grew up in Lawrence, a KU fan and saw so many pitiful Kansas seasons, so many losing seasons when nobody was coming to games, when nobody was excited about the program, to now being a part of this meteoric rise for the program. He's a great kid, very thoughtful, insightful, unassuming, funny. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Here's my conversation with Kansas running back Devin Neal. Devin, I appreciate you taking some time to, to talk to us. You guys are one of these stories in college football, one of the cool stories in college football after going... 2-10 and ten last year, 4-0 in your first four games, knocking on the door of being ranked. I don't know how much you guys pay attention or, or care about that kind of stuff, but just tell me what this has been like for you here the first month of the football season. Yeah, I mean, it's been phenomenal just watching how hard we worked to get to this point. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a dream come true for me. It's kind of 
you know, you expect to do these type of things, you know, for it to actually happen now. And with all the hard blood, sweat and tears that we put in, it just feels really good. What about with your background, being a Kansas kid, being a Lawrence kid, right? Seeing this program <clears throat> up close and personal your entire life and not seeing a ton of winning. Yeah. And now to be a part of it, not just see it, but be a big part of it. How does that add to the level of, of satisfaction or whatever you're feeling right now? Yeah, that's what makes it more special, you know, just seeing those ups and downs of the program. And that's also why why I came here originally to do this and to feel this feeling that we're all feeling and um, to turn this program around. And, and now that we kind of started out with this good first half or this really fourth, I guess, um, it just feels phenomenal, especially, like you said, just being from here, it feels a lot better. Well, you just touched on it there, but you, know, you were a pretty big-time recruit coming out of high school, right? You could have went a lot of different places. There were a lot of places around the Midwest, around the country that you know wanted you to come play football for them. What was it that made you say, you know what, I'm not going anywhere else. I can go to these programs that maybe have a better track record recently of success on the field, but mm-hmm. I'm going to plant my roots. I'm going to stay here in my hometown. What was that ultimate deciding factor on staying at Kansas? Yeah, for me, it was just kind of home for me. So just being able to do something this special for my hometown, that kind of just, that thought lingered with me throughout the recruiting process. And, you know, just thinking about what could be instead of thinking about what was, you know, at that time. So that's really what was going through my mind at that point. All right, so let's go through this season. You guys, you get the win against Tennessee Tech, first game of the season. That's fine, FCS opponent. But then you go on the road in Big 12 play, and you beat a good West Virginia team. You validate that when you go on the road the next week. You didn't just beat Houston, but you guys kind of took it to them. Then you come back to Lawrence to play in front of a sold-out crowd. Yeah. Being a Lawrence kid, you've seen, you've been to games in Memorial Stadium. You've seen that sometimes the fan turnout hasn't been great in years where they weren't winning games can you take me through what that was like running out onto the field on Saturday against Duke and seeing a packed Memorial Stadium yeah I mean it just felt different and you know even during warm-ups you saw a lot more people there already filling up uh, the stands and then you see how many people are up on the hill and you know that that gives us an extra boost you know just knowing how many people you know, want to support us and are supporting us now. And, um, yeah, I mean, it just felt it, – it was a true surreal feeling, you know, to run out there with a packed crowd like that. What does that kind of tell you about what this football program can mean to this university and to this fan base? Yeah, it, it can mean a lot. You know, I think a lot of people across, you know, the state and maybe around the country have been waiting for us to be successful and waiting to see this turnaround and, you know, not ask so many questions of, about the whys and the hows, you know, and now they're kind of getting a glimpse of what what we are and what we can be. So, you know, that, that could be big for a university, you know, and, you know, I don't really get into like revenue and stuff like that. But I, I, what I do know is, you know, for the city itself, you know, you can kind of just feel how happy everyone is, you know, we're being successful. So whether it's in the locker room or on the <clears throat> field on Saturdays, what has been the biggest difference that you've noticed this year? Because... I look at it from the outside. I see a, a lot of the same players from last year, right? You guys brought yeah. a ton back from a season ago. Same right. coaching staff. But the results have been vastly different. So what has been the biggest difference that you've noticed being on the inside? I would probably just say from last year, you know, you get a new coach and you don't really understand 
what's really going on. You're still implementing a culture. You're still implementing an offense, a defense, a special teams. So there's still a lot of questions being asked. Even while you're playing, you're not necessarily playing with confidence. And now everyone kind of understands what's going on. You know, our, our culture is built um, and, you know, it's established now. And, you know, we can always keep focusing on improving in that area. But like I said, you know, you don't ask as many questions. You know, now you can just go out and play the game we all love and play it fast and physical. And that's what I've noticed the big difference is how how well our guys are bought in now. Do you feel the confidence building each week as you continue to win and people get more excited? Oh yeah, most definitely. I mean, you I mean, after the West Virginia game specifically, you're like, now you know what type of team we are, where type of team that's just gonna keep battling back, especially starting out fourteen to zero in that first quarter, you know, and being able to bounce back like that. So I mean that it just keeps on building confidence. But like I said, we just keep focusing on the little things. It keeps focused on the little details of our offense, our defense, our special teams. We're just going to keep on growing and getting better. With that sort of that transition that you guys went through with the new coaching staff last year, was the Texas game, like that was the turning point for everybody watching, right? Yeah. Where you said, okay, wow, you guys can hang with anybody. Was that the turning point for you guys as well? Was that the point where you said, okay, we may have something? Or was it more of just like this slow gradual build where you guys continue to get more and more confident? I mean, I wouldn't say Texas. I would honestly say kind of, you know, Oklahoma, honestly, was where, you know, you're competing with a really good ball team last year, you know, third in the country. And that's when we noticed we're like, man, if we just get our stuff together, you know, we're executing at a high level, we can really compete with anybody. And that's when people started to really notice in the building where, you know, our talent and our stuff was there. It was just you know, focus on that small, minute details. And, um, you know, even coming off that game, we still had far too many mistakes to win that ball game. And, you know, just looking back on that and seeing how well we've progressed from that, we're definitely dwindling down on those small mistakes that we make. So you guys, it's not just that you're winning games, it's that you're scoring a ton of points. You guys are a top five offense in the country. And it's really fun to watch. Now, if you guys were winning games 14 to 10, I'm not sure you'd care all that much as long as you're winning. But but that's part of the reason why I think a lot of people are interested because it's not just yeah. that you're 4-0, it's that you're putting up 40, 50 points a game. What do you think makes your guys' offense so effective? I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're just watching the game yourself, you know, you just see a lot of different things happening pre-snap you know you're like a lot of motions a lot of guys going this way and maybe the ball's not even going that way you know and I think that's just very confusing for a defense to try to stop you know when you don't know who has the ball when you don't know why this guy's motioning over here and then you obviously add in how well Jalen's been able to run the ball um with his legs you know that that's obviously an important factor now you got to key him you know if you if you let him run he'll run all over the field all day and then obviously we've been really efficient when it comes to third downs too so um, those are really big things that keep our offense on the field. Or honestly, we're not staying on the field long because of our explosive plays. But <laughs> but at the end of, at the end of the day, though, we're able to stay on the field, especially when it comes down to those third down situations. And that just comes to up front and the big guys. You know, those those guys are phenomenal. They've worked really hard to get to this point too. So yeah, I just think we're all on the same page too. What's it like learning that playbook? Because as you mentioned, I'm watching and I see all these moving parts. I see all this pre-snap motion. I see you snapping the ball and pitching it to the quarterback and Jalen's rolling out to his right and he's hitting Jared Casey who started the play as a blocker. (laughs) I I mean, it, it seems incredibly complex. What's it like learning it and getting it down to the point where you feel comfortable, you know, 
rolling it out there during a the game. Yeah, I mean, that just comes down to our preparation, you know, how bad we really want it. And, you know, we always get sent out what plays we're going to get throughout the week, the night before. So, you know, studying those is important. It's almost like, you know, taking a test or anything. You want to be prepared for those type of things. And so, you know, and you obviously are allowed to go to practice and, you know, hopefully you're not messing it up, but messing up can sometimes be your best, you know, teacher. So um, being able to do that throughout the week is important too. All right. So I want to ask you about your offensive coordinator, Andy Kotelnicki, Coach K. What is he like? Because when I see the plays that he's drawing up, in my head I picture this mad scientist who is just like in the lab coming up with these sort of crazy concepts. What's he like as a play caller and as an OC? Man, he's just a he's a fiery guy, you know, high energy all the time. And, you know, you kind of hit it on the head. He's kind of like that weird, like, scientist vibe. Like, he's kind of just <laughs> always just drawing stuff up. And, you know, he's always thinking about ways to get better. And, and we call him uh, tilling for snakes. So, like, throughout the week, he's always, like, figuring out, you know, oh, I don't like how that play is going to end up. So he ends up changing, like, a small detail of that specific play. So that's how he is. He's just always thinking about a way to fix a play or a series. And he's just very methodical about how he goes about his business. You, you mentioned that like through the week. So like you'll be halfway through the week and all of a sudden like he's he's changing something up because he thinks it's yeah not at its highest form. Or exactly. Whatever. Like he's just fi- figuring out how to correct that and make it better because, you know, he'll have the install. We'll go run it against in practice. And he's like, mm, I don't really like that so much. So then he'll go back in the lab and go fix it up. And then we run it a different way the next day. And he's like, yeah, that's the way I want it. So well, maybe this is a silly question, but. I mean, how many times do you have do you guys have to rep some of these plays before you feel like you're you're ready to go with them? I mean, I wouldn't say we have to rep them a lot to feel ready to go, but you know, you also build that extra confidence when you do rep them out a lot. And the way our practice structure is, we do rep these plays out quite a bit, and we also create situations, situational football too, which is important. So we know what what type of plays we're going to get in, like you know, second and long versus second and short or second and medium and et cetera. So, you know, building those type of habits in the practice mean a lot. Can you describe to me what it's like playing with, with Jalen Daniels? Yeah. I mean, that's just my guy. I mean, we've, we've been through kind of a lot, you know, within, he's obviously been here a year longer than me and, you know, even dealing with a different battle during, in 2020, you know, but um, yeah, man, I mean, just clicking with him and understanding what, what his thought process is, is kind of, what's really important to me, especially when it comes down to like passing down. So if I can kind of get a glimpse of what he's looking at, I can kind of predict how to protect him better, you know, in those situations. So I think we kind of just build off each other. And obviously he's running the ball a lot off fakes and stuff. So me being able to carry out those fakes and draw guys to me is important for him to get those open lanes and vice versa. And he's so young. I know everybody knows the story by now. He was you know, 17 years old when he, when he got on campus and, and you look at some of the numbers he's putting up and sort of the charisma that he carries himself with. What What's he like as a leader? Has has that come pretty naturally to him? Yeah, I mean, he, you don't really know he's young, you know. He, he And obviously, you say he's young based off age, but, you know, when you're in college football for three years, it kind of ages you a little bit. But <laughs> at the same time, though, but um, he, he's a great leader, you know. He's, like you say, he's very charismatic and he cares deeply about this team and um, he just finds new ways to make himself better, make the team better. And that's, I'm just really proud of his effort, you know, to get, I've seen him work in the lab all day and all night to get to where he is now. And I'm just, you know, like I said, I'm just mesmerized by how hard he's worked to get here. So what's the difference now with you guys, 
you've got things rolling. You're four and zero on the season. What's the difference as a player between that feeling of of hoping you're going to go out there and play well versus at this point knowing that yeah you're going to go out there, you're going to move the ball, and you're going to score points. Yeah, I mean that's that's big. You know, last year it was a lot of hoping to win, and you know we we actually Coach K always talks about it at the beginning of the week when we talk about our game plan versus the team, the team that we're about to play. It's you know we we have that mentality of playing to win versus playing not to lose, and you know that's really important. You know you try to stay ahead of the sticks, you play to win, you play aggressive, and you don't play conservative. And those are really big kind of our offensive unit like thinks on that level all the time. So we like to play in that type of fashion. So obviously everybody's paying attention to you guys now and you're starting to get some some national attention. Do you guys still carry that chip on your shoulder? Do you still feel like you're out there to prove people wrong? Absolutely, because there's still plenty of people who think this is a fluke, you know, and, you know, we don't really get into that too much. But at the same time, we all know and we kind of like going with the underdog mentality of, you know, people underestimating us. So, um, yeah, we and but like I said, we don't focus too hard on that. We just focus about, you know, executing at a high level in general. Well, Devin, this has been fun, man. It's been fun watching you guys this year. I appreciate you hopping on and talking to me and uh, best of luck the rest of the way. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me, too. All right, so Kansas plays Iowa State this weekend. Another home game. It's homecoming, so I would fully expect another sold-out crowd. Uh, it looked awesome, by the way. I wasn't there, which is unfortunate for all the shitty games I've sat through in Memorial Stadium. Now they're finally good for the first time in 15 years and uh, didn't make it to the game, and I won't be there this weekend. Not by choice. Uh, just kind of planned ahead this fall, as I've gotten accustomed to over the last couple of years, to not plan my fall schedule around Kansas football and look who's getting bit in the ass. I want to say one thing about the strength of schedule discussion because, and this is something that nobody, nobody who's really good at talking college football brings this sort of stuff up, but it just kind of makes my head hurt whenever people talk about the strength of schedule and say that you know, Kansas hasn't really played anybody. And this is a, it's not a Kansas specific take. It's just in general about how people talk about college football especially early in the season, strength of schedule discussions are mostly bullshit. They really are. Like, I can look fairly objectively at Iowa State and say that you're probably the best team that Kansas has faced this year. But in terms of trying to look at one team's schedule versus the next as to why this team deserves to be ranked ahead of another team, it's so dumb. And people use it against Kansas, and people are using it for Kansas. Like, in the sake of wanting to say that Kansas is a top 25 team in the country and the AP poll fucked it up. Listen, maybe you're right. Like, I think Kansas deserved to be ranked. But we do this game where, in the, in the exact opposite, like, look at the person who would argue the opposite, that Kansas hasn't faced anybody tough. They would look at the schedule and say, well, look at West Virginia, right? They're not that good of a team. They lost to Pitt. They lost to Kansas. Well, if West Virginia would have beat Kansas in overtime, would we then say that West Virginia is a good team? What about Houston, right? If if Kansas loses to Houston, Houston's sitting there at 3-1. and one. Are we talking about them differently than we are? Had they won? Like, strength of schedule only is really applicable at the end of the season when you've got a full season of data points. But a month of college football isn't really enough to make any sort of declarations about Who's good? Whose schedule is good? You look at Kansas, most places, paces, I think uh, I think college football reference has them around 40. ESPN has them a little bit lower than that. 
it doesn't really matter at this point. Yes, I think Kansas deserves to be in the top 25, but this is also how the AP poll works. The burden of proof is on you, Kansas, the team that has sucked for the past 15 years, to prove to people that you don't suck anymore. And four games isn't enough to write over the preconceived biases because that all plays a factor. Like, I've heard a lot of people making this argument, which is that if Kansas had their their same resume, but they were wearing a different uniform and had a different name on the ticker, then they'd be top 25. And you know what? You are absolutely right. But that's not the way this works. There's a reason why Alabama and Ohio State and Georgia and Oklahoma and Clemson start every single year at the top of the rankings. Because we see them every year. And guess what they do every year? They win a shit ton of games. They go 12-2 and every year. So we know they're good. And we're also going to wait longer to knock them down the polls because we just expect them to figure it out. It's the exact opposite for Kansas. Hey, we've kind of got a lot of data that suggests you're not a very good football program. So be good for more than a month before we get you up there. And needless to say, Kansas, who is actually dogs at home against Iowa State, they win this game on Saturday. I promise you they're going to be in the top 25 next week. And at the end of the year, if Kansas is sitting there with seven or eight or nine wins, we're not going to be looking back at week four and saying, hey, what the hell was that all about? Great season, really enjoyed it, but remember that one week where we thought they should have been 25th and they were 26th? It really doesn't matter all that much. Jalen Daniels is having a special season. I know we know he's having an impressive season. We know he's been really good. He is having a special season for Kansas. You just look at some of the numbers, like the QBR number. I don't I don't really know what it goes on to QBR versus passer rating or passer efficiency rating. I just know that Jalen Daniels is really freaking good. 98.0. That is first in the country. Uh, you know, some I saw a stat earlier this week that it's the second highest that they've ever charted behind, I think, Tua the year he won the Heisman. He's got 15 total touchdowns, 11 passing, 4 rushing. That's fifth in the country. The 11 passing touchdowns is 12th in the country. 71% completion percentage, that's 18th. Uh, 9.6 yards per pass, that's 14th. And then you look at his rushing numbers. His rushing numbers are as good as most running backs. He's the number one running quarterback in college football. And he's averaging eight and a half yards per carry. That's fourth. I mean, he basically took over the game against Houston on on the ground. And then he was Kansas's leading rusher again versus Duke. There aren't guys who do this. I mean, we're talking Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, Johnny Menzel, Jalen Hurts type numbers. I mean, really, he is in that level of production. And typically speaking, again, it goes back to what we talked about in the open. Typically speaking... Guys who start the year like that don't all of a sudden fall off to where you go, oh, yeah, you had a nice month, didn't you? He's not just having a nice month. He's having an historic month. Well, he had an historic month. So maybe his second month of the year when he's facing Iowa State and TCU and the best teams in the Big 12 won't be as impressive as the first month. But to expect some sort of dramatic drop-off actually seems more far-fetched than expecting him to continue to play at an incredibly high level the rest of the year. And what was so impressive against Duke was that that was the first time where we saw him really showcasing his arm talent. Like, he's shown it in bursts. Uh, there was the the pass to uh, Skinner. And that was a Tennessee Tech game, so I know it doesn't count. But those individual plays where you can just see a guy kind of show off a little bit. 
that's still enough to make you say, okay, maybe there's something there. This was the first game where it was just, okay, nobody else is doing anything, so I'm going to take over this game. I'm going to be a hero. That was a sort of Heisman moment, even though it was against Duke, but you get the point. It was, uh, I mean, a couple of the throws he had. The best one, the, the touchdown pass to Luke Grimm, where he is backpedaling. Then he starts moving to the left. He's got pressure in his face. He's off his back foot, flick of the wrist, and an absolute dime. Like, just drops it in a bucket, corner of the end zone. Luke Grimm, 25 yards down the field. There are only a handful of guys in the country who can make that throw. Now, I don't know how consistently he can do it. Can you do it every single week? Most guys can't. But you own that trait. That's an ability that you have that most other quarterbacks in the country simply don't. I don't want this to get lost in the shuffle. You start getting lost in the... What's the fucking saying about the forest? Oh, man. I'm terrible with some of that stuff. Uh, See the forest through the trees? If you're listening right now, just tweet it at me. At Nick underscore Schwert. When you're listening to this, just go hop on Twitter. Tell me the correct saying. That way, the next time it comes up, I'll actually say it properly. I am really interested to see what this Kansas team looks like versus Iowa State. I watched a good amount of the Iowa State-Baylor game, and then I went back and watched a few plays afterwards. The one thing that stuck out to me, and I watched, unfortunately, the, the Iowa, Iowa State game, which was, I mean, typical Cyhawk. Iowa State is easily the best defense that Kansas has faced this year. I don't know if they're the best team, but they're the best defense. They're probably the best team. But their defense is pretty legit. I think that Jalen having an insane game against Duke sort of clouded the fact that the rest of the team wasn't exactly great. I mean, Jalen goes 19-23, 324 yards, four touchdowns, then 11 rushes, 89 yards, one touchdown on the ground. And it's still a one-possession game late in the fourth quarter. You end up getting a big stop and winning the game. Typically, if you have a quarterback performance like that, you should expect to win by a lot, but that just wasn't the case. So I think that that game, and it was an emotional win. You have a packed house in, in Memorial Stadium after two straight road games. It, it was A lot of people just got excited, and you should, because that was a big win. And now you're 4-0, and all of these great things are happening to your program. But in just terms of breaking down that individual game, As a team, it wasn't the best game that Kansas has played this year. It was the best game by Jalen Daniels. Wasn't the best team performance. I thought that was the week before against Houston. So you can take that either which way. I would say, first off, like Lance Leipold said earlier this week, you play that game again, you're probably not beating Iowa State. On the other hand, well, maybe you'll play better now that you don't have this huge emotional high of coming back after two straight road games, knowing you're going to pack the stadium for the first time in forever. I would I, I just think you can't play that game again. You can't expect Jalen Daniels to go out there and be Superman every single week. That's just not a winning formula, but fortunately, I don't think they're going to have to because there's enough talent elsewhere. I still have a little concern about this offensive line, but for the most part, on the flip side, I think the coaching staff has done a really good job of kind of hiding their deficiencies up front. They get the ball out really quick. The triple option stuff, all of the movement pre-snap kind of keeps defenses on their heels. And the offensive line isn't being asked to do a ton. Now, when you go up against a really good defensive team and a good defensive game plan, maybe that changes and maybe you get exposed. But as of right now, I'm just sort of cautiously optimistic that they're going to get better. It was a weakness last year. 
it's sort of been masked this season by great play by the skill position players, but that's still something I'm kind of watching right now. Defensively, Kansas is a below average defense. I don't think this really surprises anybody. I don't think anybody would really argue with that. But when you have an offense that's scoring 48 points per game, you don't really focus on the defense all that much. They're better than last year, but they've still got a ton of work to do. They're giving up 27 points per game. That's 83rd in the country. They're giving up 470 yards per game, which is 111th in the country. Eventually, you're not going to score 35-plus points. And in that game, your defense is going to have to show up. Maybe it's this week. Maybe it's Iowa State where you don't put up 35 knowing that that might be a top 20 defense. Your defense is going to need to get some stops. Right, because there are balanced teams in the Big 12 in a way that we haven't necessarily seen through the first month of the year. The cornerbacks, I don't think, have been great. And now you go up against a really good receiver for Iowa State in Xavier Hutchison. Big dude. He's like 6'3". They have him listed at 205. He's just a big go-up-and-get-it guy. Looks like an NFL receiver. I have no idea if he's on NFL radars or mock drafts or anything, but he just kind of looks the part. He's got the, the get-off-the-bus Sort of look to him. And he's the only guy, if you watch Iowa State, he's the only guy they're really looking for on every drop back. He's got an absurd target share right now. And he's got like 36 receptions in four games. I think it's like 40% of all the the receptions for Iowa State. So that's their offensive game plan. Drop back and look his way. And KU seems to miss a lot of tackles too. That's the other thing. They, they might just be a talent issue that you won't be able to fix this year, but... I mean, it's also something that could end up costing you a game or two at some point. I will say that if this Iowa State offense, with everything I told you about, if, if they're consistently moving the chains and scoring points on Saturday, I do think it would be some cause for concern for the KU defense. If Iowa State can score on you, I would be a little scared about what some of these other offenses in the Big 12 are going to do against your defense. Because they're just not very good on that side of the ball. Their quarterback, um, Decker... He just stares down Hutchison on every play. It is not fun to watch. It's not an efficient offense. This is not a team that should be dicing you up defensively. And they can't really run the ball either. You look at the two Power 5 teams. They played, I don't know, South, one of the Missouri, Southwest, Southeast, Missouri State in Week 1, and then uh, Ohio in Week 3. So the two Power 5 teams, they played Baylor and Iowa. Baylor, they had 27 rushing attempts for 66 yards. Iowa, they had 129 yards, but it took them 41 attempts, so you're talking about three yards per clip. If this is a team that's gashing you and your linebackers aren't wrapping up ball carriers, that's going to be really frustrating. And that, again, would be cause for concern moving forward, knowing you're going to play much better offenses the rest of the way. I do think Kansas wins this game, though. I do. I'm not going to be the guy to pick against one of the hottest offenses in the country just because I think the Iowa State defense is good. Like, that's not enough. Because it's college football. When you look at college, the defensive schemes don't change much week to week. Like in the NFL, we talk about this with the Chiefs, that, okay, teams are putting a ceiling or a roof on the defense. They're playing these two high looks. They're taking away everything deep. They're not going to blitz as much against that quarterback. They'll blitz more against this one. You don't see that as much in college. Because in college, you think about all of the different offensive schemes you're going to see. You're going to play 12 games. You're going to play... Six different offensive schemes, maybe more. Good defenses in college can just sort of handle everything thrown their way. So with Iowa State, just look at it. You're a young defense, really just a young team. They returned less production than almost 
any team in America from last year. Kansas was at the top of that list. Iowa State was at the very bottom of that list. And they haven't faced a team like Kansas. You've faced one good offense this year if you're Iowa State, and that was Baylor last week. They put 31 on you, and that was enough to win. Side note, I'm not even sure Baylor's offense is all that good this year. I know with Baylor, you just sort of always expect them to have a good quarterback, but I'm just not convinced that they're that team. More importantly, though, Iowa State has not faced a quarterback like Jalen Daniels. Jalen has over 300 rushing yards this year. He's the best rushing quarterback in the country. They haven't played a rushing quarterback. Go look at all the teams they've played. All pocket passers, all those quarterbacks, not threats to run. I guess I just trust... I trust three guys. And maybe I'm just drinking the Kansas Kool-Aid and that's fine. But I trust Jalen to make enough big plays. I trust the OC Andy Kotelnicki to figure out the pressure points on this Iowa State defense and attack them. And I trust Lance Leipold to keep this team focused after what was probably a pretty emotional win. Those three things, I have zero concern with. If Kansas ends up losing this game, I think it'll be because of their defense. I don't think it's because all of a sudden we're going to see regression from the one area where Kansas has excelled about as much as any team in the nation. All right, thanks so much for listening. Uh, If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, review. I got Kansas plus two. I got Kansas Moneyline this weekend. We're going to keep... I mean, that's been the best bet in college football. Just bet on the Hawks to cover. You're going to be a very rich man or woman by the end of the year. Uh, We'll be back next Thursday. Thanks as always. and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. 
Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.